Hello and welcome to The Fandamentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Oh no, this is all my fault. There's something else at the core of my unhappiness that that I didn't realize. When did that become a bad thing? I'm not dead. It seems I'm the only one with a mind of my own. Go, go. I would not wish you back again. I am not going to dump another thousand-year-old complex on you or anybody else. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. The theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by R. Sonar. Probably still available on the Free Music Archive. We haven't checked in like yeah. three years. <laughs> My name is Kylie, and here with me are Julia. Why, hello, everybody. And Gretchen. Hey, everyone. Th- <laughs> hey, Adora. <laughs> That's exactly what it sounded like to me. <laughs> the three of us write for thefundamentals.com for fundamentally sound fandom analysis that's right it's a website for all of your geeky needs such as news reviews video game hot takes board game things i don't know you should check it out occasional five thousand word long explanations as to why game of thrones is bad which is totally still in the works we're just taking a bit of a pause on that but the total totally still happening i promise uh, hey, and if you like those 5,000 word takes or whatever else we have to offer on thefandamentals.com, you could consider supporting us for just, what is it, $3 a month? Yes. $3 a month. That sounds like what it is. I think it's also $30 a year is the other option. Mm-hmm. And that would make you a Fundamentals Plus subscriber. That's right. You would have access to exclusive store deals, essays, podcasts just for you. And most importantly, the feeling of satisfaction that you are helping us run the the site in a sustainable manner. That's literally all it's for. (laughs) Now, uh... Part of the site is the Fundamentalist podcast, and and we have said we're looking to make it a monthly podcast. However, this past month, I I've been a bit distracted. At any rate, uh, I I got the married last mm-hmm. weekend, and we didn't really have time to watch a lot of media in between it. However, Julia and Gretchen were in attendance. Uh, so we thought we might talk a bit about it, if that's of interest to anyone. If not, it's only one segment. We're also going to be persuaded to watch Chinese rom-coms, rom-coms pardon, by Gretchen Yay. today as our fun segment. And then our final segment is just going to be a grab bag. What are the few things we have been doing lately? So I want to talk about the newest Legend of Korra comic that came out. Julia wants to gush about The Good Place man in the high castle question mark i I, I don't know these notes (laughs) i might talk about terminator terminator Ah, i want to add that to the notes terminator i I also might need to talk about um fire emblem a little bit because before i got the married i quit a job and i got a new job but i had three weeks in between that and all i did was play fire emblem three houses (laughs) i know how to say fire emblem yes thank you but first there's some fandom news to talk about. Is there ever? Well, yeah, I mean, the biggest piece of news since the last time you heard from us, and this is kind of old news at this point, is that Benioff and Weiss, the illustrious D&D, have quit Star Wars. Because they're too busy. They'd love to write it. They're too busy. It's totally not related to that horrible interview they gave. 
panel. Or the fact that they just finished up a show and everyone agrees the last season was bullshit. And everyone agrees that maybe they're not that good at writing after all. And then they're like proud of it. Yep. (laughs) That writer's panel was so rough. For anyone who doesn't know, they Mm -hmm. spoke at, uh, oh crap, what was the name of the event? Austin something or other? It it was a panel specifically for writers. And writers were asking questions about their writing process. And (laughs) Penny Alphenweiss would be like, we don't know. We didn't know anything. (laughs) Just like imagine if you're like, you know, working in an Amazon fulfillment warehouse and also at a Starbucks and like writing your screenplay into the dark hours of the morning, trying to hit your big break and working so hard and full of passion. And then these two bozos are millionaires. Ah, oh, imagine that. Yep. Like, just some of the people in that room must have just wanted to throw things at them. Well, yeah, especially because they made it clear, like, they didn't really plan out very much. They were completely incompetent. Looking back, they wouldn't have done half the things. Um, they really just let their actors mm-hmm. write a lot of their scenes for them, like, that kind of shit. And just, Stuff like, just like saying the whole time, but they mm-hmm. basically were like... Just, like, their admitted. sense of entitlement yeah. was just so... You know, I've not, I've never had much sympathy to the idea that like white men should stop writing things. But when I listened yeah. to that, like I listened to like the tweets about that interview, I was just like, maybe white men should stop writing things. <laughs> yeah, it really what does make it unsurprising then that they wrote a story about how a like a mediocre white dude fails upward because mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. oh, just like them, they they wrote the story. They say write what you know, and that's what they did. Yep. Mediocre white dude fills upward. Gretchen, that's what George R. R. Martin's writing. <laughs> I mean, Jon Snow isn't mediocre in the books. And he's... He actually has really, skills yeah. and does things. And he's he also got killed things. for it. Yeah. And he also, like, you know, earns things. Yep. And so far as we know, Tyrion's not going to fail upward, even after he... I mean... <laughs> He's pretty so, deep in alcoholic depression rather than just, like, joking around on his way to Valyria. And slavery that lasts longer than three minutes. Yep. So, like, scheduling conflicts is a pretty... Like, they weren't... They were fired, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, who... Okay. Maybe maybe they turned in, like, the, their first outline. It was just, like, a big Hawaii shrug. And Disney was like, no. Yeah, I have to think it was probably something along the lines of Kennedy realizing that... My guess is that it has to do with the fact that they don't take direction well. <laughs> they don't like to be told what to do. And and Kennedy and the Lucasfilm story group are, are pretty big at, at managing content. Yeah. And, and making sure that everything within the franchise is what they want their vision to be. So I have a feeling it was probably at the heart was like a personality conflict of like realizing that like Benioff and Weiss aren't going to just let Disney tell them what to do and Disney being like, Right, but but we're going to tell you what to do, and they were like, "We don't want to," and they're like, "Okay, bye." Yeah, and I mean, I think it's, I think this was always going to come up. Um, yeah. They do mm-hmm. basically have a blank check from Netflix, also for reasons because they're master world builders. I love when they're credited with that. What are they uh, even going to do for Netflix? Something bad, probably the Confederate show, but on <laughs> Netflix, like. Oh God! Please no. They are obsessed. They are obsessed with the topic of slavery. Like mm-hmm. it's so. Remember when they were comparing Tyrion to Abe Lincoln? Ooh. Yeah. Remember. Yeah. Remember when they had a black woman who was a literal slave die in chains, and then have a white lady make a joke about 
about the fact that she just killed someone who'd been a slave while they were wearing chains. Remember that? Right. Because, and, and chains for prisoners are identical to chains for slavery, and they bring this up a lot. It's strange. They just anyway, don't know what they're doing. second no. bullet point. <laughs> yeah, speaking of this universe, Game of I Thrones, guess. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, um, so- yeah, the Long Night sequel was canceled. Um, so... Or it's a prequel, isn't it? The prequel, prequel, yeah, the prequel. prequel. Sorry, yeah, the prequel for The Long Night that was supposed to be about, like, the origin of the others and ancient yeah. history. And apparently, like, the news that I'm hearing about things that were happening is real bad. Like That the show was bad or it looks well, bad? Well, the rumors that I have heard, so again, these are just rumors, was that they had cast a bunch of people of color to play the children of the forest and that apparently at some point the children of the forest were cursed to no longer be black people, but to like be little green men in the forest. And I was like, oh, what a terrible idea. I'm glad that got canceled. That sounds awful. Yeah, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> I actually I heard, heard other was, things about There was going to be like lesbians and stuff. Yeah, there are going to be lesbians in it. It was actually going to be revealed that like a Ned Stark ancestor wasn't white. I think that the show is trying to be a bit subversive is actually mm. the impression I got. Might have been a lot of unintended consequences. Can you not- imagine how much people would lose their shit if they had a non-white Stark? But, oh but my appar- gosh. Yeah, but apparently there was, it was supposed to center around like a lesbian navigating this universe and like navigating political power. I mean, they could still do that with the prequel that they're going to have, yeah. which I is I mean, Fire they had Blood. a character exactly like that in the book Fire and Blood. Yes, so. there is. There's <laughs> She literally navigated things, too. Yeah. <laughs> She's a literal pirate queen. <laughs> so what they are putting on, the prequel mm-hmm. they are putting on, is called Fire and Blood, and it's no, going to be about boring fucking Targaryens. It's called House of the Dragon. It's based on the book Fire and Blood, but it's actually called House of the Dragon. Uh, so I'm confused about this, because we spent like a year... Like, hearing things about The Long Night, the casting, the schedule, all that stuff. We haven't heard a single thing about this Targ prequel. And they've already ordered a first season? Mm Mm-hmm. This is how things work? I guess it just seems like a safer bet. I mean, it's HBO. I mean, I'm terrified because the beginning of the Targ story has a lot of Dorn in it. (laughs) (laughs) So if, like, I see any, like, poofy dresses or boob armor, I might, like... I will say... They, Martin was just, so George R. R. Martin was just talking about the writer's room on his not a blog, and mm-hmm. I am even more cautiously optimistic First of all, than I was there's before. a writer's room. Right. <laughs> there, and other than the guy who's the main writer, there are three other people that have been announced, um, two of whom are women. And I was like, oh, look, this already has more women in the room than Game of Thrones ever did. Well, you mean they're the one? Room. Right. And maybe they'll like they'll like read his notes where it's just like Fire and Blood is an in-universe history. Assume bias. Well, that's what I think is potentially really interesting yeah. if they go that route is that there's the potential to write kind of the neutral version, not the biased version that we get in the book itself, but to write like the neutral version of the story. And so it mm-hmm. would it would be different from what we get in Fire and Blood because Fire and Blood is a biased account. Yeah. So there's I mean, the potential to do some interesting things with, like, this is, in a sense, what kind of really happened 
And you can compare that with the books. I don't know if they'll go that way, but yeah, that I to mean, me is potentially really interesting. There are there are levels of nuance that you just cannot achieve in a visual medium that you can in text, which is why text will always be superior. Yes, <laughs> that's true. But Gretchen is right also mm-hmm. that it's it's a more flattening and objective yeah, exactly. lens on the TV, so you can explore other sides of things. Right. But like on the other hand, you can get what we had in Game of Thrones, where right. like it flattens to a Tons direction of. Right, it, it takes to it a takes direction of total bias, yeah. 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 So they can either subvert perspective bias or they can just lean into it and... <laughs> mm-hmm. Take it at face fire because yeah, they don't know what they're me. reading. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess this means I have to read Fire and Blood. No, you don't. You can listen Thank to God. it on audiobook yeah. or listen to parts of it. I can recommend parts that I find really interesting. That's mm-hmm. right. This podcast is now sponsored by Audible. No, we're not. I'm just being weird. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna be talking a lot, or you can just watch what I'm gonna be creating for YouTube. Yeah, I would rather do that to be honest, because I'm gonna be making a series on uh, specifically about the dance um, and the way I think that impacts what we w- might see in the in the A Song of Ice and Fire books mm. potentially as foreshadowing right. and such. Anyway, moving on. And no, we are not skipping this piece of news, Julia. <laughs> okay, but fine. There goes our schedule. Go ahead. Netflix and Nickelodeon signed a deal to produce films and TV based on the Nick library of characters, as well as some new IP. So uh, if anyone wanted to see that Rocco's Modern Life movie, <laughs> you might be getting it. Oh my gosh. I want to see a Hey Arnold movie. Uh, I'm, I'm actually hyped if like Rugrats comes back in any way. I don't know. Did you see Rugrats in middle school, that series? Unrelated to this, there is a Spongebob movie coming May 2020. You get like a Gary origin story and then he goes missing and then it's a wacky buddy duo with Spongebob and Patrick. There's I a mean- Spongebob musical that's going to be playing in Toronto. I saw an ad for it on the subway today. It's already like, this is a thing. Oh yeah, it's already existed. I've seen like gift sets really? and stuff on Tumblr. Interesting. Yeah. Should I go uh, see it? Well, we're still on children's media. Well, this isn't kids, but Sonic the Hedgehog. Remember when he looked like crap for the movie and everyone was like, what is this horror? Well, the redesign has been released. They took him back and they redesigned him and now he looks like Sonic the Hedgehog. So good. Now you have a good looking Sonic movie. It will still be a bad movie. Yeah, I can't imagine it not being a bad movie. But it's it's at least not the nightmare fuel that it was. Right. I've so. seen some people speculating that they did it on purpose. No, that's so dumb. Yeah, we that just wasted really all these expensive. man hours on purpose. <laughs> so you talk about it. Let's give him baby teeth on purpose. Yay. No, I think it's more likely that someone pitched the design as a joke and then they ran with it. <laughs> <laughs> it was They're bad. like, okay, this looks good. Like some kind uh, of Dade Hill-like figure. All right, Sin City, which is a graphic novel best mm-hmm. known for its film adaptation, is now becoming a TV series. Okay, cool. are they going to blue screen the whole thing? For pe- I guess. I mean, I feel like that's the only way you can do it if they want to make it look the way the, the movie did. Do they want to make I... it look like the movie did? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm an advocate of TV series because mm-hmm. it's better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can tell stories in a more nuanced way. In, in fact, speaking of his dark materials, the BBC TV series has just started airing. I haven't seen it yet. Like the first episode. It's fabulous reviews, but you know how I feel about reviews now. Mm. I know how you feel about reviews. However... I, I was watching this like four minute YouTube channel of all the actors in it just talking about it's a faithful adaptation. We love the book so much. And like the, the main character is like, I was shitting myself because I have to portray Lyra and she means so much to everyone. So yeah, at, at, if nothing else, they're allowed to read the book on set. 
Yay! <laughs> I mean, Something. I have like I have like access to a streaming service in which I can watch it. I haven't start. I haven't finished it, or I haven't started it yet. Rather, well, you would be the you would yeah. be the arbiter of truth about it. Yeah. Well, I, I think Gretchen knows that series pretty well too, so I don't know. Yeah. Uh, not really. No. Okay. Well, you yeah, know okay I guess I guess it's it's my uh, my beat then. Yeah. It's your okay. thing. You are, you are the Dark Materials beat writer, correct? All right. And then the final piece of news, which I, I don't know how anyone could have escaped this, but Disney Plus is like now a thing. Oh, yep. God. Yay. Another five ninety nine a month. Sign up or else. Uh, and apparently the Mandalorian is it's on so it? good. See, that okay, on the other hand got really bad reviews. Just like the really? Amelia Clark rom-com and also Frozen 2. I guess I'm looking at different reviews because everyone, yeah. everything on my Twitter timeline is like super excited. Everyone really oh, likes Frozen it. Oh, Frozen 2 got bad reviews? I did on BBC.com. Oh. Well, I mean, Disney sequels are famously terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So. Except for The Rescuers Down Under. But I um, like, I really like The Mandalorian. Uh, it definitely has a very OT, like original trilogy, like spaghetti western feel to it like it really does feel like okay. like spaghetti western in space which is what the original trilogy what trilogy was like yeah I'm it has with it. kind of a clint eastwoody vibe but there's still room to be funny there's like a little tiny baby yoda whatever species is it yoda actual is yoda or it's like no years it's ago, just that like the, years? that species doesn't have a name so far as yeah. i know they're the yodas they're yeah, just I, 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 the I think little, this will the be little the, green things. The little this will green. be the second time we've seen it. We've seen a Yoda, wouldn't it? No, third. Yeah. No, who's the second? Yaddle. 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 She's a member of the Jedi. Oh God, Council. Yaddle. She yeah. like pink. No, she's just. She looks like Yoda, but younger. Yeah, does she? Yeah, I, I remember. And she's, this, like, she's got like thing. big beehive hair. I don't remember this creature existing. I mean, okay. she's she's not on the screen for very long, but she does it's exist. Prequels. It's prequels. Like not I yet. will Google her. But yeah, um, there's a little tiny baby Yaddle, Yoda, and everyone Jedi. is freaking out. Oh my about god, it. the baby Yoda's so cute! I know, right? And they're using they're doing puppets. Oh my god! Oh, that's the... So instead of oh. CGI, like the 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 effects are great because they feel like. I mean, we saw this in the Last Jedi. They're going back to like. Yeah, puppets and things, and like it just looks so much better. Oh hi, yeah, Yaddle. Okay, now I will Google Baby Yoda. Yeah, all right. Well, look at the adorable I, Baby Yoda. It's freaking adorable. I, also, Pedro Pascal's voice is just. <laughs> yeah, Pedro Pascal is. Ugh. And there's a lady blacksmith that I'm already like so in love with. Oh, because... and there's a baby in a crocheted Yoda costume with the little crocheted lightsaber. Yes. Okay, so this is devolving into <laughs> anyway, something I'm not understanding. And that's our timer. Go give the uh, <laughs> Disney overlords more of your money and watch The Mandalorian. Or torrent it. Anyway, let's talk about something completely unrelated to anything, that being my wedding, I guess. <laughs> Are you going to play Hava Nagila here? <laughs> uh, Please do. Okay, fine. Okay. We all dance to it. Yes, I was there! <laughs> I know, you seemed a little preoccupied. <laughs> she didn't even notice that I was helping to hold up her chair. Oh my god, I didn't at all. So, like, here's the thing about the horror. First of all, I've never done it. I wasn't bat mitzvahed, so this is my first experience being chair hoisted. <laughs> and the DJ was like, lean back 
<laughs> and hold on to the handle. So that's what I did. And I could see Julia, who, like, I don't know if you know this about Julia, but she's done CrossFit. <laughs> so Julia Wait, was what? to my left, and uh-huh. she was, like, hoisting. I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> but one of Griffin's cousins, who's bald, uh, it just started glistening more and more as the dance was going on. So I was, Oh, it like, was a workout. So I was, like... <laughs> Leaning back, trying not to think about this, trying to look pleasant for pictures. <laughs> not look like you were kind of terrified that Griffin's cousin was going to drop you? Well, while watching this man get sweatier and sweatier, they handed me a towel at one point, which I, like a napkin, which I think I was supposed to like... Yeah, you're supposed to do the thingy. You're supposed hold to like... You're sp- you and Griffin were supposed to well, like... Well, Griffin's it. chair kept wang- wandering away, so like there was no <laughs> chance of that anyway. Yeah, there was a time where we had to reposition. The DJ was like, what the fuck is this? So, so one of his main hoisters was his dad, who was diagnosed with arthritis in his shoulder what? the week before. What? And he's like, yes, chairlifting. This is what I signed up oh for. My gosh. So he, the, the horror actually ended because his shoulder gave out and Griffin had to jump off his chair. Oh, my gosh. I, yeah. Wow. So, but I ended up using the napkin to, like, wipe his cousin's head. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just, like, lean down? Like- I was just like, pat, pat, pat. So like, Gretchen, I love you. I was not turning around. I was not even like looking at anything else. I was just like, oh my God, get me down. No, I just, uh, I just, I just, I leaned over to Julia during the horror and then I post on Facebook. I was like, Kylie can never say that we never supported her because we literally just supported her. On you a literally support it. Well, I, I see that now in retrospect and I thank you. Yeah. And uh, my, my niece, my sister's uh, daughter was like was horrified. She, she was apparently like horrified. She was just like staring, like what's going on. But now when I talk to her, she keeps going bouncing in chair, no fall. <laughs> we have to talk about your other niece, whose nickname will now be Peridot. Um, <laughs> you weren't there to- because you didn't see. <laughs> First of all, I have two other nieces. Yeah. So my brother has two kids, two daughters. One of them is six, and one of them is like one and a half. Yeah. So Peridot was the flower girl assistant to the official flower girl who was like too young to complete her flower girl duty. She was like, the they were, flower they were girl both regent. official flower girls. They were, all three of them were official flower girls. One of them just chose not to be one. Yeah. <laughs> and they both chose not to wear shoes. And, um, I mean, hey, I'm sure I, by the end of the night, most of the women in the room were, were choosing not to wear shoes. They just, yeah. they just got in on it early. One of, one of Kylie's cousins actually brought her Adidas. To dance in. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so Peridot... Yeah, uh, she she was like... She turned the basket over at the end. <laughs> she didn't call anybody wedding commander, but no. it was a great moment. <laughs> I think she was the wedding commander is what I was gathering. Okay. Yeah, I will say your, your sister was very anxious about Peridot crawling all <laughs> over the floor during speeches. Like at one point, I just leaned over and was like, do you want me to hold your phone for you while you go get gather Peridot because Peridot kept like crawling out into the floor after your dad when he was <laughs> giving his speech so your sister was like ah. whoa, 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 wait, was, wait was that Peridot or was no, that I, I didn't think that it was, was her yeah. daughter oh right yeah, yeah. I guess Peridot's I got confused daughter. about who Peridot was Peridot was the one who did the wedding commander move I didn't actually see the wedding commander move really okay yeah I well missed you missed it. a lot 
No, no, no. But yeah, my my sister's daughter, sister's who daughter is was... two, she was crawling. She was like mm-hmm. trying to get towards my dad when he was making a speech. And then what was even better, she kept trying to run towards me and Griffin during our first dance. <laughs> it was so adorable. And your sister was so embarrassed. I was yeah. sitting right next to her. She was like, oh, no. I'm like, no, don't worry about it. Everyone's going to think it's adorable. Like she's no two. Care. She's a baby. Yeah. Everyone thinks it's cute when babies do stuff like this. No, if it were yeah, you. Yeah, by the end of the like, night, the end of the night, the baby was sitting like they like spread out two chairs, and she was sleeping across the two chairs with like a mm-hmm. blanket on her. It was adorable. With her oh, arm. she partied. Yeah, she, she partied, partied hard. hard. She did party hard. Uh, she was like falling asleep on my sister at one point, and then I had requested "Hang On Sloopy" because that's one of her favorite songs, and it came on, and apparently her eyes like popped open, and she was like, "This is it. This is my champ." <laughs> <laughs> she like got back up and started jumping around again. Yeah, she has uh, a very jumping around based style of dancing. Well, she's two. <laughs> uh, Julia also has a jumping around based style. I'm kidding. You, you had a very normal style of dancing. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's not much to say. It was a fun wedding. Yeah. Like, I, I, for anyone who cares about this kind of stuff, Griffin and I walked down the aisle. So the the wedding procession has two songs in it because the bride has to get like a special song for some reason so the regular procession was Terrytown, the wedding version of it for anyone who has played breath of the wild uh then my music that i walked down to was the final musical cue from legend of korra which the dj and i worked on cutting so that it would like sound it would swell as i was walking it sounded good <laughs> it I was thought. really yeah, beautiful it looked very well and then we walked out to Curb Your Enthusiasm's theme song. Yes, that yes. was a hit. That was, yeah. yeah, that was pretty great. Everything well, seemed very fitting. And my aunt was like, Kylie, what was the deeper meaning of the Curb Your Enthusiasm song? <laughs> like, what? She wants to elevate small talk into medium talk. I what? think she was worried that we were some way, like, equating Larry and Cheryl to our relationship. Like, I don't know what was happening. But I was like, we just thought a bit of levity would be nice. So. Yes. I did enjoy how much... So your dad was hilarious. By the oh way, he's almost gosh. definitely going to be listening to this podcast. So yes, let's hear about this. Oh, hi. Hi. I loved that um, when he was taking photos of us, he was like, say, I hate men. Fundamentalist, <laughs> 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 say, say you hate men. I was like, oh my God. Well, because I think I think he genuinely enjoys what we have to say. And, and Dad, hi, if you're listening to this, hi. he's definitely listening. so lovely but, like, to meet you. I, I like how Gretchen and I were introduced for the entire weekend as your podcast co-hosts, which yes. is accurate. But I don't know. I didn't think that was like the defining part of our relationship. I mean, yeah, you're your podcast co-hosts first, and and like friends second, obviously. Right. So. Right. Uh, we do have a fundamentalist shot that was taken of yep. us at the wedding. Mm-hmm. Gretchen posted it to Twitter, but I'll post it ahead in this in this uh, thing, the post that I do on fundamentals.com. Yes, that's the thing. <laughs> I forgot it's the website the word. that we write for. I forgot the word for post for a second. <laughs> it's okay. You just got you could. I feel like you still have some leeway to say I just got married, and that's the excuse for every like. My brain was just so scrambled because right? I'm a bride. Right. Uh, Except that yours was one of the most low-key Oh my god. Yeah. Weddings. My my sister kept joking around about like what a bridezilla I was. So <laughs> so like the, the day before we got lunch together and she had pickles on the side of her sandwich and I was like, Hey, could I please have one of your pickles? And she was like, Oh, 
Bridezilla. <laughs> My favorite detail about your bridezilla-ness is how it confused everybody that you weren't a bridezilla, like the photographers. Oh my god, the and photographers. The makeup people. <laughs> okay, I actually have to go off about the photographers. First of all, I'm quite sure it was, it was two women, and I would put... I would say it's 50-50 they were in a relationship with each other, just okay. like based on their dynamics. I was, I was wondering... It Honestly. could also just be a very like heated business dynamic, but there's lots of tension. They there Sometimes. was tension, and they had competing artistic visions for what the day should be. Oh. So one of them would be like, "I have a cute idea. We're gonna have them do this," and then the other one would go like, "Yeah, that's cute, but I have a cute idea." And and Griffin and I were like, "Should we be here? <laughs> do you guys want to get a room? Like we're at a hotel. You can just." You think these pictures are going to turn out really strangely because first of all they made me do like the snarky lying down on the ground pose with a hand on my hip i'm like i don't know about this one what <laughs> yeah like i, I like don't with your I skirts don't all around you yeah no. oh i know the one you mean Th- there's none of us just like hugging so there's none of us looking like humans that want to be around each other <laughs> They took us outside for 45 minutes, and it wasn't actually that cold out. It was, like, it went up to 41 that day, I don't day, know. So. It was pretty fucking cold. We were standing, like, in the hallway, and there were, like, all these doors. It was, like, a glass thingy kind of around the outside of the building. And people kept opening the door, and we would all go, ah! <laughs> I mean, my dress was spaghetti strap, so, like, it, it wasn't the most pleasant thing I've ever done. But, okay, so I'm a good sport. We're, like, climbing on rocks because there's, like, autumnal trees behind. But there was one particular shot where they were like, all right, Griffin, look at those bushes right there. Don't look at the camera. Don't smile. Just look at the bushes. <laughs> and Kylie, drape yourself on his back, holding his shoulders and grinning at us. What? I'm like, I'm, and I was just like, yeah, we do this every Saturday. <laughs> but why normal. can't he look at the camera? That would be more normal, I think. So there's just going to be like five or six shots of him looking at bushes. <laughs> like, I don't, what are we doing outside? <laughs> there is this one point where I started dancing with you, Kylie, like in a snow song, and Griffin came out and he just like, the photographers won't like this. <laughs> he's like, took you well, off no, the hands. photographers were mad at us. They're like, you need to dance with him more. I'm like, <laughs> I've been, dancing with him this whole time you need to be more involved in your own wedding guys they, they also like bum rushed me when they first got there They're like where's the invitation we're taking a picture of where's the dress do you have anything sewn inside your dress and for the i i thought they meant like weed like, <laughs> do you drugs? have anything stored inside your dress I'm like what did do you, you want find? some edibles do you want some edibles <laughs> well i just want to know what they found but apparently it's like customary that people have like i don't know stitching inside of it or like a piece of their mom's wedding dress that they sent you telling it. me that after like yeah. was the first time i've ever heard of this being a I thing have... i have never heard of people sewing bits of other wedding dresses in their wedding dresses no, but like, like i remember like my friend's on. weddings like they like take like a picture of like their shoes and their bouquet and things like that oh and, like, they artistic did that things. right they did that for me while I was sitting in a chair. I'm like, knock yourself out. I'm not going to buy this. So I, I don't know. It was strange. And then they were like, what poses do you want? And I, I obviously hadn't come thinking of anything. So yeah. I would just like grab whoever was near me and be like, ah, smile. And then they'd yeah. be like, do you want anything else? I'm like, I don't I, I mean, don't like, know. I definitely thought that like we had some like conversations over the past year where like your vision was very like candid. Yes. yes, and yeah. I told them that. Yeah. They were mad at me because I wouldn't let them stage the first look. They're like, but you guys are going to see each other for the first time. I'm like, yeah, but like, just like we can, you know, run into each other in the in the lobby. It'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, like, because you had the Ketuba signing and then yeah. like the ceremony started like 10 minutes after that. 
So yeah. it was like your first time you saw him in 10 minutes. Oh, no, no, no. First look. Do you know what first look is? I guess not. So first look. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> this is a deep dive into wedding lore. Really. <laughs> um, basically, there are some couples that will do wedding pictures after the ceremony. And there are some couples who would do like what, pictures before, pictures after, and then there's some who just do pictures before only. And because mine was a Jewish wedding after sunset, we opted to do all pictures before. So what they try to do, the first look the groom takes at the bride is usually not like when the bride comes down the aisle or anything like that. It's usually during this picture time. Right. Or the groom and the groom, the bride and the bride, whatever the arrangement is. Yeah. Uh, so... Th- it's become a thing to stage this moment. And my friend had this done at her wedding that I was a bridesmaid for. So basically they have the groom stand and they get the cameras already. And he stands and he looks away. And then my friend had to come over and tap her, her husband to be on the specific right shoulder. He had to turn in a counterclockwise way. And then he had to, you know, have the reaction of seeing his bride for the first time. Okay. You and Griffin would hate that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this this sounds like the opposite of what you guys would do. So that's what that's. What I was like, look, we will run into each other, and you will be there to photograph it. But I couldn't like do not get your cameras in place, and I'm not doing that thing. We're going to run into each other, like because we just have to. We basically just had a meet in the same location. Yeah, to take a picture. So that's what ended up happening. I was in the lobby, and they're like taking a couple pictures of me alone, and then I heard Griffin's voice. I'm like Griffin, and he's like, hey. <laughs> I'm like, hey, do you want to get married? And they're like, and they're like, you guys are so silly. <laughs> yeah, they were not fans. You were just like, we tried to warn you, probably. <laughs> this is this is our vibe, guys. Yeah. This is what we do. They, they were they were one of them was sleeping on the couch that night. I don't know. It was <laughs> it was an interesting moment. Anyway, that that's honestly the most I have to talk about for the wedding. Like, it was a really fun party. I was yeah. chill. I wasn't wearing white because that would be weird. It was really so. joyful. Mm-hmm. It was. Yeah, well, it's one of the strangest aspects of it is that I've never considered my relationship with Griffin through the lens of someone else observing us. Mm. So, like, for me and Griffin, we were married on day three. <laughs> we got together. We're like, I remember saying, it. like, what, like, like, right. I think he was still, like, at your place, like, the first time you met physically. He was just like, yeah, we're not breaking up. That's what you told me. <laughs> yeah, we're not. I mean, we just knew we weren't. Like, we knew this was it. It's it's kind of always yeah. been effortless. He and I were friends. I mean, you you guys can see the the fruits of our joint labor in like what we wrote about Batwoman in 2017 and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, but it was really interesting to like hear people talk about how it's like hashtag goals for them. I'm like, huh? That's really nice. I don't know. It was okay. just really nice. I, th- I feel we have to mention this. A large part of the conversation at this wedding was about this zebra at Griffin's house. Oh my gosh. We did I talk we a have... lot about the zebra at Griffin's we, house. I think we have to mention the zebra if we're going to talk about We have to talk about, talk about Zeb. Okay. Yes. Zebra Butler. So, this is, and, and listeners, I'm very sorry. Thank you for bearing with us. But this is also like, Julia, Christian, and I have been together a total of one time before this wedding. Yeah. So we are also just very amped to see each other. And weddings are kind of an inherently hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So. But it was it was a really joyful party. I recommend just being chill about everything. Okay, Zeb. <laughs> so Griffin's uh, Griffin's parents have a five foot four zebra butler. Unro- Does he five on, foot on four roller with skates. roller skates or without the roller skates? 
He has roller skates. I don't think you could take the roller skates off. And when I say zebra butler, I mean it is literally <laughs> like an anthropomorphic, like a zebra on its hind legs kind yeah. of anthropomorphized. <laughs> Holding a tray. Wearing a tuxedo. Wearing a tuxedo, yeah. With a tray, and the tray usually has candies on it. And for some reason, my sister's daughter. Not Peridot. Not Peridot. A, a different gem. I don't know. Ruby, Ruby, I guess. Yeah, I can see her as a Ruby. She's a Ruby. Uh, when when she's trying to go to bed, she'll try to like distract and be like, oh, can I FaceTime with Kylie? And my sister will be like, no, no, no. Kylie's sleeping. She's in bed sleeping with Griffin. Like, they're sleeping, which is not the case, but that's what you tell a two-year-old. But this, this two-year-old Ruby has started going, Kylie in bed with Zeb. <laughs> So I was like super worried she's going to be running around my wedding telling the guests that I'm I'm sleeping, sleeping with-, with Zeb. <laughs> and some of them would know like obviously Kylie is not having sex with this zebra butler, but there'd be a lot of people who just didn't know that Zeb was a zebra butler. I know, I feel like we told everybody about Zeb. Right. <laughs> and then the the morning before my wedding, Ruby was taking candies from Zeb's tray and knocked the tray onto the ground and it made a loud clanging noise. So then she kept going up to me going, Zeb tray fall. <laughs> but this thing, this thing is terrifying. When I first mm-hmm. met Griffin's parents, it was like 1230 in the morning. It was super dark. I was wired because my plane had been delayed. I had like tried to drink Coca-Cola to stay awake. And they're like, welcome to our house. That's Zeb. And I turned to the left. I'm like, oh my God. What is this thing? So one of your friends and I, uh, who I was seated across with from at the rehearsal dinner, we Um, were talking about how uh, Zeb should be put on like a Roomba or like something with wheels and then it could like drive around the house. (laughs) And it would be even more terrifying because it would just suddenly like pull up to you like holding a tray with like a drink or something on it where like that would be delightful. Like Like, a martini glass full of olives like Derek's. Yeah, it'd be great. So you should you should get Griffin's parents to do that because I think it would be kind of horrifying but really funny. I will say my one regret about the weekend is that we did not have a chance for a no. live fundamentalist recording. No. But we Never. really did not have a chance. No. Gretchen is moving to my town, so there Yay. will be perhaps chances in the future. Yes, for at least yes. For at least two thirds of the podcast, and Julia will just feel My boyfriend and I had to have to come back in the summer because we booked an architecture boat tour. But Which I recommend to anyone visiting Chicago. There was like a way. fucking awesome. like sleet storm. It was terrible. The weather oh, yeah, was we absolutely got, we horrible. We got six inches of snow. And there was zero <laughs> was visibility bad. and it was freezing cold and I only had running shoes. So um, we got a refund. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, you we know really, what? really, really want to see that thing. You, you guys are from Toronto. Like you should have been a little more prepared for the winter. <sighs> I agree. I, I was trying to pack light. I already had I to get pack it. high I heels. I get it. Come back in the summer. We'll do yeah. a live fandom well, list. And thank you. I'm going to stop over on the way to Cheryl's thing. Landing. Cheryl's Landing, the pancake house in uh, Michigan. <laughs> yep. Yep. Can I just <laughs> say one more thing about? I really, I also really enjoyed how bewildered the rabbi seemed that that you and Griffin met online. <laughs> like, oh well, I, he was. I think he was trying to be endearing, but he was like telling our story. What did he call it? The internet web. <laughs> He said he was like Kylie and Griffin. Uh, they met on the uh, they they with the internet a shared web. love I mean, of art and creativity and meeting on the internet web. <laughs> I mean, did you tell him that you got your ketubah from ketubas dot com? He he told us about ketubas dot com. Okay, so he, he did was understand really into this ketubah. 
he just, okay, so he just was making it sound like he was really bewildered by it, but it was just like a really funny, like, no, it, he's, he's tech savvy. He was just doing it to be disarming. Yeah, he made it sound like, oh, you kids meeting online. Wow, well, that's, what that's a what thing. he was kind of doing. I mean, granted, our story of how we met is confusing because it's not just we met online. Like, oh, online dating, everyone gets it. That's You're not like, what happened. No. Yeah. It's like Griffin left mean comments on my fan fiction and then we became <laughs> friends. <laughs> right. It's not your, st- it's not, yeah, it's not online dating. It was, yeah. In it fandom. was over analyzing Asami Sato together. Like, that's what it was. <laughs> oh. All right, that's that's as much about my wedding as I want to hear. Uh, there, we will post the one picture of the fundamentalist. Yes, peeps. Uh huh. My my podcast co-host. <laughs> Yay. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's fun. Thank you guys for coming. Yes, we had <laughs> and I'm not gonna do it again. So we'll just have to have other reasons to to get with each other. Yeah. Being happy is selfish. Remember that we suffer. You have no idea what pain is. Remember that we suffer. Hey. And you talk about things for some time. Okay, so last episode, <laughs> Kylie tried to convince us to watch anime. So this episode, <laughs> I'm going to try and convince you all to watch Chinese rom-coms. So I was roped into this. I will start by saying <laughs> I was roped into this. I did not come to this fandom entirely of my own volition. But now that I'm Wait, here, is- I will try and rope you all into it. <laughs> Are you, like, active in the Chinese rom-com no. fandom now? No, I'm just saying. I didn't come to this genre. Um, I have been... It's been a rough year. Um, and two of my old college roommates, my two best friends, both apparently watch Chinese rom-coms. So they both separately were like, hey, you should watch one of these with me. So I started watching two different shows. And we will, like, we watch them on Netflix, and then we start, like, a Google Hangout, and we just, like, chat to each other while we're watching. That sounds like our entire friendship. Okay. Right. Are they <laughs> subtitled, or are they, yes. like, okay. They're subtitled. So they're both on Netflix. Dubs are evil. And there are two. <laughs> I, will t- I will tell you about both of them. Uh, so the first one I started watching is called Love O2O. Don't ask me what it means. I don't know. From what I can tell, <laughs> that is apparently true. This is just a thing. Like, the names don't always have anything to do with what the show's about. O2O. Yeah, I don't know what the O2O means. It sounds like a sports drink. I don't know. Right, yeah. I don't know why it's called that. But it is about... Sounds like a software version. A couple who... Well, our our protagonist, uh, Weiwei, is her name. Uh, And she is... So they meet... She and the guy, the main love interest, meet in basically a version that like basically world of warcraft like it's not actually world of warcraft but it's basically it's called a chinese ghost story but it's an mmorpg (laughs) my friends who did the first look that's how they met yeah oh okay cool yeah so yeah they meet or really like they had interacted in the game and then he sees her in a an internet cafe and he falls in love with how quickly her hands like with her hand movements as she's like playing the game so it's ridiculous. Um, the what I one of the things I love is so they have they will have like the the real life characters will like play will like put on costumes like they're the avatars in the game and have like battles. <laughs> they're LARP. They, they LARP. Yes, they, they LARP. LARP. They're LARPers. They like LARP their avatars whenever they have in game battles <laughs> or like going on a boss fight. They it's, oh and it's it the. 
the animation's so bad. It's so ridiculous, <laughs> but in a like enjoyably like funny way. And everything is super melodramatic. That's one of the things I love about this show is that it it's ridiculous. People get upset about it's just really over the top. It's not supposed to take itself too serious. It's supposed to be really funny. Um the male protagonist, like if he weren't the male protagonist, you would be terrified and might think that he like has no feelings and that he might actually be a, a sociopath. Yeah. Um, that seems to be typical. But he's very handsome. He's, yeah. He's very attractive. Um but yeah, he like brings everyone down, anyone who tries to like say anything bad about Weiwei, he like finds a way to ruin their life. But it's romantic, <laughs> I guess, because he's the male protagonist and he's good at he's a Gary Stew. Like he's the Gary Stewiest of Gary Stews. He's good at everything. <laughs> um like he comes from a poor background, so he's humble, but he is like runs his own business and is super handsome and sometimes his clothes are ridiculous and you don't understand. Um, Catherine and I, my friend and I, who she's the friend that I watched this with, we love to just be like, what is the design aesthetic here? Like, I don't understand why there's like a cactus in like randomly, like she gives him a cactus and it's supposed to be like a metaphor for their love or something. I don't know, but it's apparently a feature. <laughs> is that like in Shira where the cactus? No. Oh, I forgot about the cactus in Shira. <laughs> I just know. I just know it's a thing. Finish watching that season, so don't talk about it too much. Uh, I just know it's like a thing in Chinese rom coms. It's like not uncommon for like a succulent to be like a representation of of characters' love. I don't know. It's a thing because relationships are easy to maintain. Yes, <laughs> that must be why. I guess I don't know, but uh, the so the. The secondary romance is very much like Beatrice and Benedict from Much Ado About Nothing, where it's Weiwei's roommate, uh, Ershi, who also clearly has a crush on Weiwei. Like, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> like, my friend Catherine is very, very, like, very, very, very straight. And she, like, told me, she was like, Gretchen, even I was watching this and was like, I think that's gay. <laughs> And she's like never picks up on subtext. So, but is it is it written like that? Like intentionally? Do you think? I I, I can't tell if it's intentional or not. But if it's not intentional, like she, it's very it it might not be intentional. But you're watching it and you're like, <laughs> yeah, her roommate clearly has a big old giant crush on her. Like absolutely. And then they put like, or she wears like flannel shirts. And I'm like, I I feel oh. like you all are trying to to lead like, I feel like you all are trying to say that she's in, that like she's a queer woman, but without saying it. But she is going to end up with the other guy who has a crush on Weiwei because there's always like a secondary male protagonist. Of course, always of course there's there always is. a romantic rival, and they yeah. start out anyway. One thing that I have noticed with both this show and the other show is that there seems to be like a genre shift about halfway through. So it starts off, um, love the ghosts. No, like, but it starts off mostly about like the game and like drama in the game. Like there'll be like drama in the guilds or like so and so challenges you to a duel or whatever. And then the second half shifts. So it's much more of like an, like it's like an office almost 
there's like kind of like a spy thriller element to it. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> that is so not what I thought you were going like, to say. <laughs> now suddenly the big concerns are like, ooh, it seems like someone might be hacking the the game or because the male protagonist is developing his own game now. And so there's like this shift to like now it's like office drama and like not really bureaucratic. That's the wrong word. But, like, it's definitely the setting is office and, like, the problems are no longer, like, fighting in the guild. It's like, ooh, this company is trying to buy us out. Are we going to cave or not? Or are we going to stick true to our <laughs> principles? Have, like, a or... shit ton of episodes. Um, I think there are, like, 30-something episodes and they're all an hour long. Oh, wow. Um, and... There's this, there's this, like, um, Spanish language thing on Netflix about Simon Bolivar I was like, oh, I'll watch this. And it's more than 100 episodes wow. and they're all an hour long. Oh my gosh, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> right. I normally, we normally only watch a couple episodes at a time. Um, yeah. One or two, we'll watch an episode. And so we just, it's very slow moving. But so that one's, that one's good. It's good on its merits. Um, I really enjoy that one. The one that I really love though is the one I'm watching with my friend Rachel. And this one's called A Perfect Match. And, this one, A Perfect Match, is about two chefs, one of whom runs a fancy restaurant, and the other one works in the night market. And the first, so again, there's a genre shift partway through the show, but the first half of it is basically Pride and Prejudice. Like, I'm not even joking. It's basically okay. Pride and Prejudice. Like the male. This is related to my interests. Yes. <laughs> the male protagonist um, has a very Darcy-esque, like. He's he a dick face. Aloof, doesn't really show his emotions, can be kind of arrogant and kind of an asshole, but isn't, but not unfounded. Like he is intelligent and he is good at what he does. So there's an element where you can say, well, it's the Darcy thing of like, as a child, he was given good principles, but was raised to um, develop them in pride. To follow and them in pride and conceit. Them in pride and conceit. <laughs> a little bit of that involved. Um, and the female protagonist, she's, you know, bubbly, effervescent, like, um, has, like, lots of energy and is able to challenge him in ways. He's not used to, like, being challenged and being told, like, hey, you're being kind of an asshole. Like... Uh, so, like, just Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. It's great. Um, I love watching it as... So my friend who I watch it with is also queer, and we watch it and are like, oh, my gosh, they're both really attractive. <laughs> these are good. <laughs> this is really enjoyable. Both of these people are very attractive. I, I like them. Um, very slow burn. So if you enjoy, again, which feels very Pride and Prejudice, the like slow burn buildup of the romance and the like, they get close to each other and you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much tension. Ah, <laughs> just like kiss already. Just, but, but yes. don't because I like the tension. Um, love it. It's so good. And they really do challenge each other's perspective. This is a show that is very well written. Like, oh, good. Love O2O is melodramatic and ridiculous and not really all that well written. It's just candy. Um, but it's fun candy. A perfect match is actually really well done. Like, the writing is really good. All the characters are really interesting. It has some really cool themes of family. Like, it deals with, um, especially sibling relationships, but especially in the first half, but even just relationships among complicated families. And there's complicated family dynamics that I really enjoy. So the second half, it shifts from being kind of Pride and Prejudice 
esque to being a bit more of like a Shakespearean comedy of errors. Oh well, I mean, but that's that's less of a like dramatic genre shift, right? I think. Right. And so suddenly, like everyone is now living in the same space, and and it's, are they trapped on an island? No, they're living in the grandmother's. Like the the male protagonist Tingen, like they're living in his grandmother's house, and there's you know drama about the romance, like the love interest and stuff. So anyway, like the mom wants him to marry this one girl. It just becomes almost like someone was like first discovered fan fiction and decided to like bring in a bunch of fanfic tropes. It <laughs> was like they're fake dating. There's only one bed. Um, oh my god! I was just about to ask about bed. Sharing. Yeah, there's bed sharing. Like, but the thing is, is like I don't even mind like the tonal shift because it's just delightful. Now it's just like absurd and ridiculous, and I love the drama of it all, and I love the grandmother who like clearly knows that they're fake dating, but like has like is apparently totally okay with it. Yeah, and like leans into it and is like, I secretly know that you actually really like her, and I'm actually going to try and get you guys really together, even though you're. I know that you're fake dating. Like it's great. great. It's so good. <laughs> Highly recommend a perfect match it's so delightful um it's one of the best hours of my week i usually watch one but sometimes two episodes is when rachel and i get together and we watch a perfect match and it's like everything is so good about this show we like my only go ahead my only exposure to like chinese rom-coms is in this youtube channel called two cent violin where they have this entire series where they watch people play the violin in movies and like freak out over how inaccurate it is and for some reason chinese rom-coms are especially bad at this oh yeah Yeah. or they'll say like the most ridiculous things about like music (laughs) things like that and these like two guys will like totally freak out about it it's pretty funny oh well this doesn't have that i will say there's no fake violin playing no (laughs) i will say the they actually clearly someone in the writer's room or someone they consulted is an actual chef you can tell that, like, they know what they're talking about with cooking. And that's did they like, consult somebody who plays uh, World of Warcraft? I have no idea if they did in the other one. <laughs> Probably, I don't know. I don't think they need to. It's, that was just, like, a parody of people who play games. But, yeah, highly recommend A Perfect Match. It's it's great. The other thing that it has that Love O2O doesn't... So Love O2O is a slightly older show, and this is apparently also a thing that's not uncommon for shows developed for Chinese markets... Or, mm-hmm. um, I believe that A Perfect Match was, even though it's in Mandarin, I think it's technically from Taiwanese, um, like it was produced yeah, and filmed. They, and they speak Mandarin in Taiwan. So yeah, that's, it's technically Taiwanese. And so there's a difference in the way that the, the female protagonist is allowed to express, uh, interest. So in Love O2O, it's apparently not uncommon for, um specifically Chinese markets for the woman to like not show any kind of like sexual enjoyment out of anything. So like, like while they're having sex? Or like kissing or anything. So there'll be all this like romantic buildup and tension and then like the male protagonist will like full on make out with her while she stands there like a board. And you're like this is super <laughs> awkward and uncomfortable to watch. <laughs> I'm so turned on now. Like what is this? God. You just gave me like all this tension and she's just standing there like a dead fish and i think it's so a every marriage thing. in westeros okay i think everything it really is a cultural thing that mm-hmm. it's just a way like women aren't allowed they're supposed to be more reserved and demure in the way they express like 
pleasure or whatever. But that is not the case on A Perfect Match because there is one very, very, uh, there is a scene. The Perfect Match is the Taiwanese one? Yes. And, uh, definitely there's some, there's potential for mutuality there. There's, there's one scene that like, man, it's one of the best kisses I've ever seen. It's so good. I will say. Is it, is it like New Girl? Jess and Nick good? I I never watched New Girl, so I That is, like, the best TV kiss I've ever seen. I'm not even that into New Girl. It is so good. (laughs) I... It is just... Zoe Deschanel, like, it is just so fucking good. Well, maybe I'll just have to watch that, and then I can compare it and give you a... I will... Yeah, I would tell you that there are two episodes you need to watch, and you don't need any context of it, just, like, the episode before it, and then that episode. Okay. And then... Like that's that's all you need. So I'll tell you which one. And of course, you have to watch the YouTube series, the Zoe Deschanel show. Yeah. Oh my god, the Zoe Deschanel. I don't even know if that's still up, but that was really good. <laughs> so anyway, maybe I've convinced you. Like I feel like just saying it's Pride and Prejudice. I feel like you. I feel like Pride and Prejudice plus Family Dynamics. Plus Family yeah. Dynamics. Yes. I mean, I I want to watch more Two Set Violin. Yes. Yes. All right, we're gonna now talk about a bunch of random things. <laughs> For a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in watch of a white So, grab bag. Uh, we just had, like, some random things we want to talk about, but not really talk about. Because <laughs> that would be ridiculous and require planning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Except, I, like, I'm convinced that we're probably still going to, like, talk about some of these as if they were, like, an actual segment. Oh, yeah, this is going to just... go on for another hour, I'm sure. <laughs> Except the timer to 20 minutes. We've yeah, never sure. ignored the timer going off ever before. Sure, Jan. <laughs> All right. So the first thing on the list is um, the Legend of Korra comics have are continuing in Ruins of the Empire. And I think we briefly talked about part one in a different episode, which, like, I loved part one of Ruins of the Empire. It was like Beifong family feels and Suyin's <laughs> the worst. <laughs> Uh, I thought I was setting up an interesting political situation where it was like, hey, these people really still like the Earth Empire and they might like vote for a Kuvira loyalist, basically, mm-hmm. in Gaolong. So like to me, that was really interesting. I thought there was like room for cool political commentary because like, you know, they're fascists. <laughs> um, and it's just it, it's based on like people would tend to vote for stability in a situation right. like this too like it, it's interesting to explore it's interesting to explore Wu trying to bring about freedom but not having a clear trajectory towards it um well Korra's trying oh, do to they do like a- address the fact that he has no plan or well yeah that's that's like part one because they're just like oh there's like a hitch in this we need to figure it out and Korra's trying to figure out like what is my role as the avatar now well yeah like, and, the, wh- and the way they set up the the political intrigue being that like yeah, they want to have democratic elections, but the only people that they have available are basically just bureaucrats who are going to keep doing the same old, same old. And then yep. Gowan comes along and is like, well, no, how about you vote for someone young and youthful and interesting? It just so happens that he's a fascist. And like, that's actually <laughs> like, that's actually an interesting political struggle. It's like, what do you do when you're trying to vote for democracy? But like one of the candidates is a fascist, but like it's a candidate that people might find appealing I mean, that's because what happened in Egypt, progress. basically, right? And, and the other thing I really liked about this, too, is that um, Kuvira is kind of being enlisted to help with this mission because, you know, she was the former empire. She's the emperor. She stepped down. She has political clout, clearly, in this in the kingdom. 
and it opens with her kind of like at this trial where she's like, I admit I did wrong. Like I went too far and things were wrong, but I'm not going to say everything I did was a waste of time. And I did some good. And and it was Sue being like, how could you say that after you fired a cannon at my family? <laughs> Which is amazing. So it's kind of, it was kind of like grappling with, I, it, it definitely didn't seem like it was setting up a Kumira redemption arc to me. Like I, I knew no. there was a chance of that, but it seemed more just like her dealing with her legacy, what she wants that to look like and her dynamic with the Bay Fongs while at the same time, Cora is dealing with a new political position for herself almost. Uh, and then like she and Asami were scripted well too, where like Asami wasn't happy Kuvira is involved, but she's not like irrationally, Cora and I are broken up now because of Kuvira, which is like <laughs> a very common like fandom thing also, right after the show ended. I also really enjoyed that they just ignored the the homophobic world building that the other comics oh, yeah. established. They were just like, no, no, everyone's fine. We'll just have it, Asami and Cora can kiss in front of whoever and like no one's going to make a comment on it. It's, it's, it's just not remotely relevant. Yeah, I love that. Was. No, it was dumb to <laughs> yeah. insert that in the... Well, Sorry, I know some people found it really validating. I didn't like it. I didn't think it fit the world. And Correct. so I am very glad that the comics just seem to be just moving on with that. Yep, I agree with you. But I mean, it definitely like, I, I get why it is validating as well. Yeah, I do. It's, it's, it's complicated yeah. for me. But anyway, part two came out and um, I was worried with the preview pages. I was worried with the description because the description was like, Gulan has a brainwashing machine. I'm like, the fuck? <laughs> What? There is no war in Bossing Say. <laughs> there was no war. In- yeah. Okay. So, like, established brainwashing in the Earth Kingdom. Like, I understand they have a history of it, but there's also people might vote for fascists because they vote against their own interests and they get deceived by like very easy statements about security. Like, maybe you don't need brainwashing. Right. As the reason. May- maybe <laughs> our recent in American political things in recent history in American politics prove that people can vote for a fascist. Yeah, like, if this was written in 2015, I would be a little more forgiving, but... Like, you can vote for a fascist without being literally brainwashed. Yeah. The other thing that that it felt like reading these pages is I feel like they're lampshading Kuvira. The fact that, like, she doesn't take responsibility for her behavior, I feel like they're lampshading that this isn't... That this is an established part of who she is as a person. Like, because they give us these flashbacks of, like, her as a child doing the same thing. Like, where her parents are like, you broke a vase, we know you did it. And she's like, I didn't do anything! And you're like, oh, so it's part of, so it's part of her character that she- It's a character flaw that she just (laughs) never admits fault. Right, it's a character flaw that she doesn't take responsibility for the bad things that she did. So instead of actually giving her a chance to, like, be confronted with the fact that this is a character she needs to get over in order to like be restored to society and actually do penance for the wrong that she did. They're just going to have her save the world in order to fix it. Like that's her redemption arc is not like, Hey, Oh, as a person, I don't take responsibility for my behavior. This is a thing that I've done for a very long time. Maybe now that I almost destroyed the world, I should own up to that. It's like, no, I'll just save everyone. And then I'll just save everyone. It'll be fine. Yeah. So like, spoilers for part two, I guess that that, that's really the thing that was, was the sticking point for me too. There's, there's weirdly a lot. I still like about how this one is written, 
written because it feels like structured. A lot of the characterizations feel okay, but this is like th- this is just Kuvira redemption arc played completely straight. Like that's what we're getting. Um, Kuvira has been right this whole time. Asami was a big dum dum forever locking her up because then Asami got herself fucking brainwashed. <laughs> Oh, dear. <laughs> Esten, Mako, and Berlin. That's what's really bothering me about this, too. Like, there's stuff you can explore in Koronasami's dynamic without one of them having, like, brainwashing. Right. You know? It feels like they wanted to give them a breakup, but have it not be a real breakup. So or it's like- just Asami's brainwashed and now is calling Korra her enemy. But, like, she doesn't really feel that way, guys. She doesn't really... It- it also kind of makes me wonder if Mike just always wanted Equalist Asami. <laughs> like, because she's back to her season one hair. Also, her ponytail's gone oh now that she's gosh, brainwashed. Right? Like, what the hell? I is mean, going she on? does have that whole like clip code. In yeah, exactly. One, so. so, well, she's she's clipless, but her hair is down, yeah. so it's very season one esque. Okay. Uh, yeah. Anyone who doesn't know, I analyze the color of her hair clips for some reason. <laughs> I love the hair clip. Just, I love the hair clip analysis. But yeah, I don't know. This direction, like, it, it just it doesn't delight me. I don't know why they're working to redeem Kuvira. Right. Like, why though? <laughs> right. Oh. And then and then Kuvira had these lines of like, I would have never signed off on brainwashing technology. I was hoping the people in the re-education camps would come around because of the strength of my campaign. Like what the you actually <laughs> like, you don't that you can't think that way if you have re-education camps. Like there's also, there's also this other bonkers plot line where okay. Ignore the brainwashing for a minute. We need a political candidate to go up against Gawan. Oh my gosh. So, Wu and Korra go to enlist Toph to be the governor of Gawan. Which is like, she is one of the worst people you could possibly pick to be a political candidate. Yeah. Um, she has a very nihilistic view of governance, which we've heard her articulate before mm-hmm. as chief of police, basically. Uh, the names change, the streets stay the same. Like, we've heard her say this. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she also, like, she was so, so, so involved in United Republic politics, right? She set that country up, basically, with Aang, with Zuko. She served as the police of chief for years and years. She was not in the Earth Kingdom. She is running specifically against an Earth Empire loyalist who is really popular, so, well, she's kind of got that, like, Washington outsider curmudgeonly vibe to her. She also, like, seems way too cozy with not Earth Kingdom people. So I can't imagine that would play well. Is she colluding with a foreign power? No, but I just don't think that would play very well. Like, why would she look out for Gao Long's interests? She doesn't care. She's been living in a fucking swamp. And before that, she was Is a swamp only in the United Republican. No. Oh. No, in fact, Cora's like, you grew up in Galong, don't you want to go that back there? And Toph's like, no, I hated it there. I will say, Toph is super well-written. Oh, I love Toph's writing. She's written exactly like cranky old lady Toph would be if she were asked to be a political candidate. I actually really, really liked how Ting appearing in the swamp for Wu. I thought that was really good, actually. Yeah. His aunt, the, the Earth Queen, she appears and she's basically like, you're awful. You gave up your royal duty. How can you be this terrible? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he it was is good. terrible. Yeah. And then he's like, people want freedom? She's like, people don't want freedom. They want stability. In the Earth Kingdom, especially. Like, that's part of, like, the element of Earth. If we're going to boil 
the Avatar yeah. universe down to like personality traits associated with the elements is like Earth is all about stability and tradition and being conservative. And yeah, it's a- it's actually really well done the way because because yeah. she says people don't want change, they don't care about progress, they truly desire stability. Mm-hmm. Stop fooling yourself. You're only pushing for democracy because you are too scared to rule on your own. It's good, actually. Right. So I was, like, totally here for that. But then I feel like that's undercut by people not having agency in this election at all. Right. Because they're brainwashed. <laughs> right. They're, yeah. And and now, um, well, what are they going to do now? Because Wood's going to be, like, Wood is now getting brainwashed, I guess. How many more issues are there going to be? One. Oh. I assume it's another three-parter. Just like the first one was. Yeah, no, there's one more part coming. So now it's just going to be like, how is Kuvira going to stop Evil Device Man? Kuvira and Korra. I feel like this is like like the team up that people always wanted. Like it feels a teensy bit like it's... Didn't people ship them? Yeah. Well, yeah, so by the team up people always wanted, Gretchen, what you mean is specifically the people who hated Korra. Yeah, yeah. Which is not great. Right. It feels really weird to be like, oh, look. Korra and Kuvira are fighting evil Asami. <laughs> that feels weird. And like, that's my favorite part too, is at the very end, because like Korra, Mako, and Berlin are all, or Asami, Mako, and Berlin are, are brainwashed. And Korra manages to like capture Asami, but they can't get to Mako and Berlin. Uh, which makes sense because Asami is kind of easy to take down. No offense. She's, but she does Right. She's not a bender. <laughs> she, she's easier to. She's not a bender. Yeah. And she didn't have, like, mechas with her or anything. Um, so then they, like, lock her in one of those, like, remember the metal balls that Suiyin and her family were locked in? They put Asami in one, even though they could, like, reasonably just handcuff her to the wall and she'd be fine. And then Asami's just, like, looking angry and, like, you don't care about me. You're my enemy. And it's just Korra, like, looking sad and going, <laughs> you don't really mean that. <laughs> it's like, yes, obviously she doesn't mean that. Like, what? So, I don't know. I just, uh, part three just doesn't, like, hold any interest for me because it's like, okay, they will stop it. And then Toph will be made governor somehow. Although they were talking about suspending the elections, too. That's, okay, that's the part that I thought was weird. That, like, for the first part of the comic, King Wu's like, no, I can't not hold the election because... The whole po- like you ca- so I can't not hold be like a constitutional monarch. He was like I can't not hold an election just because I don't like one of the candidates, and then that's exactly the conclusion that they come to. They're like, well, if a candidate's brainwashing, clearly we have to cancel the election altogether. And it's like, yeah, I mean that is like a thing to deal with, but I don't think that's like, maybe postpone it, I, but don't cancel. I don't I know. Feel well, like postponing I- an election is usually a euphemism for canceling it. Well, I know, but, like, the way it's presented, it's just, like, you have to can't... The messaging is just all over the place, is what I mean. Right. And I feel like this was the same problem they had with trying to do a political arc in the first comics, and also on the show. (laughs) Like, that they don't really seem to get... Here's the housing crisis, and here is one apartment building. (laughs) Mission accomplished. (laughs) Julie makes a good president, because she hands out blankets. (laughs) the prince hans school of governance like what was the uh i did the always sunny title card of break does pol- break tries to write politics like, yeah it, but they keep trying and i look at this comic and i'm like you could have done this without a political like the 
politics didn't have to be the impetus for any of this storyline. They could have had the brainwashing, had needing to get tough. They could have done all of that without it being because they want to hold a democratic election. But they screw themselves over so badly with Wu's, like, throwaway line in the finale where he's like, I think I'm going to step down and have free elections for everyone. I'm like, nice, Wu, but what are the pragmatics of that? Right. So now any f- any single piece of fiction that's exploring this world in this time setting, you can't, like, undo that yeah, one. you're right about that. But... I think it also could have been Wu coming to reconcile, like, is he doing this because he's scared? What is right for the people? How do you actually allow for freedom when there's people who really took after the fascists in power? I mean, that that doesn't just go away overnight because they they didn't all come to the same epiphany Kuvira did. So there's a lot to explore without even getting into, like, election specific. They didn't have to get there yet. It could have just been steps to set it up. Or it could have been like Kuvira's trial as as the precipitating event. Something. Because mm-hmm. she pleads not guilty. So, okay, I don't even understand why she does. What? Like, <laughs> she clearly committed all of those crimes. Well, and what she was being charged with was like invading the United Republic. And she's like, not guilty. Kuvira, there's a... Riko signed to Well, there's surrender. a difference between not guilty and innocent. Sure. I thank you. I know that everyone <laughs> saw me build a gi- like, you know, pilot this giant mecha into Republic City and try and I mean, shoot is she everyone. Arguing but that I am it's not, not a crime, guilty. or that she didn't do it. All because she says is not arguing guilty. It's not a crime. Uh, I guess it's frustrating because there's like so many kernels of good yep. that I see in this comic, and truthfully, Turf Wars wasn't that different either. There were a lot of interesting dynamics that I think they could have gotten into, like the housing crisis that should have been something to be explored. But this one just, like, went in this fucking, like, underpants direction. Brainwashing? (laughs) Yeah. What? what? That does not make a good... Like, that is so contrived. And I understand Long Feng and the tradition of brainwashing in the Earth Kingdom. And if you want to write something about the people who lurk in the shadows in Ba Sing Se, that's totally something to do, too. The Dai Li wouldn't have just disappeared because of Kuvira, right? No. no. She probably had to fight an entire shadow war her whole time as well. Like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if, like, I went back and watched Legend of Korra. If, uh, <laughs> if I would just be too annoyed by how bad the politics are. I don't know. It it, it meant so much mm-hmm. to me at the time mm-hmm. it was airing. And it was very, like, unabashed in what it was, right? Yep. In its earnestness. Yep. But I feel like the comics have just always kind of fallen flat at capturing what that spirit is, not just for Korra, but for Avatar as well. Yeah. And it instead just kind of reads like, how is how is this what you came up with, guys? Yeah. Like, I it's agree. not accidentally endorsing imperialism, so it's still better <laughs> than North and South. <laughs> that is still... And Turf Wars is better than North and South. I will 100% say that. <laughs> Yeah, when I was at my LCS the other day picking up the new local comic book shop, picking up the new Ruins of the Empire because I, I apparently had forgotten to get it, um, mm-hmm. the guy who was there was like, oh, do you want any of the Avatar ones? And I was like, nope. No. No, no thanks. He was <laughs> no. like, well, you know, I just figured it's also a tie-in. I was like, nope, I know enough about them. No, thank you. Just apparently the newest one, and I can't for the life of me remember the name of it. It wasn't too bad. The one that like explored the like non-bender tensions and stuff. Oh, okay. The one that was written by not the same dude who writ- wrote the other five. 
Gee. That, that was... He's a really good writer. He just wrote the same story five times and sometimes it's like, instead of Aang being Aang, let's have Katara be Aang now. (laughs) Everyone is Aang and Aang is everyone. Everyone is Aang and and everyone has to have the same... It's the same arc about dealing with the modern world that has changed. And we all know how famously bad at embracing change Katara is. So let's make that her story. We, We were blathering. Should we just... Call it what it is. This segment is the LOK comics. I mean, Julia hasn't gotten to say much. Do you want to? She hasn't gotten to say much. You've been awfully quiet, Julia. I, I, I have nothing to say about the Legend of Korra comics. I, w- I was trying to interject with my fun commentary. Do you want to tell? I will say um, just one quick thing is that there is like one interaction with Sue and Kuvira where it's like very obvious that like Sue and Kuvira were a thing. Yes. <laughs> where Opa's like, how do you solve a soft spot for her mom? And Uyun's just like, uh,. This isn't the time, Opal. She was like a daughter to me. <laughs> totally. Yes, like a daughter. Well, And Iwe was like my uncle. Yeah. Okay. Well, and Kuvira keeps saying like that she had a completely different experience in the family than Opal did. And I'm like, I bet you did. I bet you did. <laughs> All right. Anyway. No, we'll, we'll, we'll let this still be a grab bag. I just feel yeah, bad. I mean, I'd rather talk about, about the man in the high castle when I finished watching it anyway. Okay. okay. Well, please, it's gonna be, please talk away. Yeah, it's going to be uh, the end of the series, so we can talk about it next time. Well, no, I, I think you, I think you should talk about it. We're about the good place. Look, I, I don't need to, the crumbs from your table, Kylie. <laughs> Fine. I'll- Fine, I will talk about one more thing then, very briefly, which is just that, and because I could do a whole segment on this, but I did nothing but play Fire Emblem Three Houses for three weeks, because <laughs> uh, I was quite literally in between jobs. I had a new You're job. You're supposed to be starting. starting the Tyrion reread. Every time I go to start the Tyrion reread, I'm like, oh boy, I don't want to hear what this guy has to say. <laughs> I don't blame you. And then he's like, Penny's awful. I'm like, no. How dare she exist? Yeah. How dare she make me feel bad about being me? <laughs> All right, Tyrion. How dare I have to realize that, like, even though I've experienced ableism, it could have been a significantly worse, but I was born into a privileged family, and so I think I have it the worst for being a dwarf, but there are actually people who are dwarves who have it way worse than I do, but I don't want to question my own perception about my ableism experience. Gretchen sums up A Dance with Dragons. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. No, but uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses, it's... Uh... I don't know how to describe it. it. It basically is Persona 5's game mechanisms, apparently, ripped off completely. But some people also call it a JRPG. Griffin says that's not quite precise. It's kind of like a tactical, like a, a strategy game had a baby with like anime shipping. And also you're a professor in it. And you're teaching students. I don't know. You have to like make lesson plans and stuff. What? Really? Well, kind of. Like, you, you choose who you instruct in and what, and you, you choose their own goals that they focus on. It's all, like, fighting-oriented, but it's really, like, good. Uh, but it's three houses because there are basically three houses at the school, and you, you pick to be the professor that leads one of them. And your character is named Byleth, and Byleth is a super strange character because their their responses are just weird. But it's fine. It's, it's good. It's, like, good. I, I don't know how to explain it. However, uh, I just... I, I recommend you play it. I recommend 
you fall in love with Edelgard the way I have because she's a perfect character. She is also the only head of the house that you can have bisexual romances with. So if you are female bilith, because you could be the a male or a female version of the teacher. If you're the female teacher, you can romance her at the end. Whereas if you're a male teacher, you can only be best friends with the male heads of their house. Because oh. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, which is disappointing. But like Edelgard is very, very, very like lesbian disaster. It has no chill. <laughs> it's amazing. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. That's it. If you want to fall down a rabbit hole and like never come out of it, this is the game for you. I recommend both The Good Place and, surprisingly, The Man in the High Castle. We'll talk about it later. Uh, I highly recommend Terminator, the newest Terminator movie, Terminator Dark Fate. Really? Oh, really? Good. Yes. Oh, isn't that like crusty Sarah yes. Connors is like helping? Yes. Crusty <laughs> Sarah Connors. Okay. So you know what I recommend? What? Since we're talking about movies, um, that Amelia Clark rom com. I don't recommend you watching it because it sounds terrible, but I recommend reading some of the scathing reviews of it. <laughs> wait, whoa, 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 whoa! What rom com? It's called Last Christmas. Where okay, she's... I want to hear about Krusty Sarah Connors instead. Okay, so, um, Krusty Sarah Connors, delightful. Mackenzie <laughs> Davis, if anyone has ever seen the Black Mirror episode San Junipero, Mackenzie Davis is Yorkie. The, um, she's the one with the glasses. Um, the old... Okay, then. I don't want to make it about race, but she's the white one. I was trying really hard not to say, like, she's the white one, but she is, uh, Mackenzie Davis. And she plays, she's very butch, and she's the protector Mm -hmm. of the new character who isn't John, but, like, plays that role of, like, they're the person that's going to save the the world in the future. Um, And who is also a woman. So it's basically, like, three women, all completely different personalities, team up to save the world, and... There's, it's really funny, really funny. I was not expecting to laugh as hard as I did, but I laughed my way through that movie. Super funny. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger has a cameo and (laughs) he played, like, he's still playing a Terminator, but like his, some of his lines are just, like, they're hilarious. At one, so he's a Terminator who like kind of develops conscious, I don't know, like the, the, whatever the, AI equivalent of like love and feelings are and ends up being like a draper like he actually like installs like curtains in people's houses like that's his job that he's had for like the past like 30 years or whatever after he finished his mission and so at one point without any kind of lead up it just drops into a scene where he's like someone actually tried to tell me that they wanted solid color curtains in a little girl's bedroom and i was like no you must have polka dots butterflies and just like apropos of nothing he's just like going off about how like you have to have butterflies in a little girl's bedroom for curtains and like i can't explain to you just how absurd it is but really funny. And he's got a bunch of lines like that, that you're just like, okay, so he's saying that right now. All right. It's, there are a lot of people mad about it, but it's the people you expect. It's angry fanboys. Like, why is it about women? (laughs) No, I mean, the, the trailers looked so, so good. It's really good. I forget what movie I was seeing in the theater where the trailer came up, but it looked, I was just so here for the it. The action scenes so. are like, like I haven't been that tense in an action movie in a very long time. Like they were, and they were really well shot. Um, Mackenzie Davis's arms are uh, very impressive. Yep, very mm-hmm. impressive. 
Um, I enjoy that. There's definitely some very, very strong subtext uh, in all of the female dynamics, which is funny because if you listen to the interviews, they were like, we were trying really hard to like not objectify these women and we were trying to make it as like, on male gaze and sexy as possible. I'm like, right, but congratulations, you just won over the queer women audience. Yeah, <laughs> like, you just did a queer, a queer female gaze now. Right, you basically <laughs> just have a queer female gaze now because you have, like, yeah, yeah That's an, great. an older woman doing badass things. You have a butch woman doing badass things. Like, yeah, you're, you just won over the queer women. Good job, guys. It sounds awesome. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. So, highly recommend... Uh, I, I still think that you should all just go see Last Christmas. Hey, Julia. Doesn't it have an, doesn't next... it have an Asian male lead? I think so. Which is pretty cool. Like, that is a cool thing. I don't really do a lot of Christmas I don't know, but just, like, movies. the reviews are, like, talking about how ridiculous it is that, like, uh, it, she plays this woman who's, like, apparently, um, like, a, a refugee from Yugoslavia, like, circa 1994 or whatever. Amelia oh. Clark is playing this? Yeah. But she's like, you know, she was like a child refugee. And apparently her life is all like a huge mess and she keeps killing her friend's pets and stuff. What? Yeah. And Are they like <laughs> like pet plants or is she literally killing <laughs> pets? But like she spends the entire movie with like her hair perfectly done. <laughs> I love beginning of rom-coms when they're trying to establish like what a, a mess this you know, female character's life is without whatever man. My favorite gonna... version of that is the wedding planner. Wedding planner. Yep. That's yeah. exactly what I think. She's doing like laundry. No, just like she has this, like she has her like own successful business that she's really, really good at. She has, she uh-huh. owns her own home. She makes herself dinner. She folds her laundry with one of those folding boards and you're supposed to feel sorry for her. Yeah. The montage is supposed to make you feel sorry that she's, Doing laundry and watching TV. Yeah. It's like she like, let her live her she life. She seems to have a pretty good like, life. That sounds like a like that sounds like a like just a normal night. Yeah, yeah. Like, not that I do laundry every night, but like that is not an abnormal night to like no. do laundry and watch TV. Like that's not unusual. It, no, and and there were many years I was single and doing laundry and watching TV, right. and I don't recall. Were you pining being... for a man the whole time? You know me. I was like, there was a point in the movie where I actually thought they were going to go in the direction where, like, she marries the guy that her dad wants her to marry, and she's actually happy at the end. No, that's not a rom-com. I know, but but there was a second I was like, maybe this movie will actually be interesting. So the establishing montage for Amelia Clark's character being a mess is that she's killing pets? Yeah, and like is that what I'm, is that what I'm no, she's like contest? couch surfing and everything because the only job she can get is like as an elf at the mall or whatever, and like no, just like well, maybe she wouldn't have to move couches if she didn't kill the pets of the people she was staying with so much. <laughs> like, what the hell is going on here? No, but just just like they're trying to make her this like total mess, like from this like you know uh, patchy background, but like she sounds like she went like to Oxbridge and. She has perfect hair all the time. <laughs> and they're like, we're sick of this in movies. Why is this still a thing? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's <laughs> that a was, good question. That was basically the reviews. Well, just, Julia, yeah. you, you may not have talked much this uh, episode, but next episode, it will be your turn to convince us to watch or play something mm-hmm. or read something. Okay, so, so you, start you, Yeah, thinking. your choices are nature documentaries. Yeah. Long series about dead royal nitwits. <laughs> 
but I've already written a piece about that. And you already told me about your nature documentaries like 45 times. <laughs> I haven't told our listeners about my nature documentaries. Well, speaking of our listeners, we really do want to thank you guys. We know that this is not the most structured episode in the world or planned. Yeah. Like, I, re- I really was super busy with the wedding. And I think I only have social energy now again as of like a week ago. Yeah. So... My apologies, but you are fantastic, and we love that you're still here mm-hmm. somehow. Uh, well, we'll see also, how many people actually download this episode. I guess. Yeah, Unabashed Book Snobbery is hopefully going to start up again, but it might just be a par- Pride and Prejudice podcast now. <laughs> I don't know. No, we'll do we'll do a Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones. Yeah, with a little Pride and Prejudice thrown in. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, Julia, I forgot to tell you that at the wedding after after the. Uh, Sorry to Moni, my sister was like getting ready to go back to her hotel room and I was just like, No, I go first now, for I am a married woman. You must go lower. Oh I frequently want to say like be super condescending and be like, You think that, Jane, if it gives you comfort. Like various times, like that, that's Jane. when people say like it's just like the perfect reaction. To, like when people are like, I really think blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, oh, you think that, Jane? If it gives you comfort. But like. Oh, Mr. Bennett is such a dick. Some people don't get it. And I say it and they kind of look at me and I'm like, it's, I'm sorry. Well, the context of it is also good because Jane is just like, oh, Wicca must truly love her. You're like, oh. Yeah. You're like, yep. Jane, read, read the room, honey. Yeah. You think that, Jane. If it gives you comfort. If it gives you comfort. I like was the mob say, "Oh, hang Kitty." <laughs> Kitty is like my favorite character by a lot. I feel really bad for her. Well, she she's definitely she just like cries all the time. And- <laughs> she's the Tiffany Trump of this universe, right? Oh, <laughs> she is though. Oh my gosh. Oh. Yeah, guys, read Pride and Prejudice. It's good. It is very. It's good, good actually. It's really good. Just remember, Austin wasn't trying to write a swooning romance. Yes, please. Also, we've that. talked about we've talked about it extensively. Also, she's not straight, and I'm I'm very much <laughs> convinced that one of her subtexts was that Charlotte was in love with Lizzie. Lesbian Charlotte Lucas, my favorite yes. reading. I mean, it makes so much sense. Yeah, it's extremely plausible. Extremely plausible. Extremely plausible. On that note. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to whatever the hell this was. We will be back to like a more structured thing uh, next month. And don't forget to stop by thefundamentals.com for all your fundamentally sound fandom analysis. All right. Well, we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Um, Gretchen, we decided that it's time for us to actually be unabashed book snobs about Pride and Prejudice. I've never read the book, and I've only seen two adaptations. Yeah, so she's going to read the book, and we're going to do we're going to talk about the book, and then we're going to watch all the adaptations, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and we're going to complain about them on uh, the internet. Do I have to watch the one with lesbian Caroline Bingley and the plinky piano music? Yeah, um, I think that we should do that, like <laughs> to raise money for charity. Like if we raise, like. <laughs> Ten thousand dollars for like refugees, then we will watch Lost in Austin. <laughs> it's, it's so bad. It's I couldn't so even bad. finish it. My roommate and I, my former college roommate and I, we are both completionists. Like we can't quit anything, yeah. and we started watching Lost in Austin and got like two episodes or whatever in, and I we're just like, don't I don't understand just... how anyone who likes Jane Austen could enjoy that. 
isn't it just like it's a Mary Sue in the middle of this universe? And no, it's Mr. Like Darcy's a like a Mary Sue. Yeah. Like, like it's it's like a classic from that Star Trek fanfic from the sixties, Mary Sue. Yeah, Mary yeah. Sue like author insert like literal <laughs> author <laughs> insert. insert. Literal. But like an author who's like who's like read maybe like you know or, or seen the Wishbone episode <laughs> about Precious. And is just like, oh, it's all about how everyone has really good manners. That is the essence of this book. Wait, should I, does that mean I get to watch the Wishbone episode? I, I was just going to ask that. We should watch the Wishbone episode, too. Wishbone is so great. Probably like, that was a great romance. I like Wishbone. He was so earnest. No, but what I was going to say is that I was actually just watching Annie uh, Pride and Prejudice. Like, I'm, I'm in the middle of it right now. So before we called, it was the scene where Mrs. Bennett is like, oh, Mr. Bennett's going to go fight Mr. Wickham. <laughs> and Jane's like, Mama, I'm sure he does not intend to fight. She's like, of course he does. <laughs> It's just so masculine. It's so masculine. Yes. <laughs> Raring to go. All it right. just like clearly needs something to be upset about. Yeah. Like in that scene. So uh, I always well, want you know to what, say how to really upset my mother is to compare to Mrs. Bennett. That upsets her so much, <laughs> but it's so true. And she doesn't get why I would make that comparison either, because she doesn't understand the text. 